turn to the book of Ephesians. We'll attempt to do something that I don't always do. Try to do 25 verses tonight. Woo. Close out chapter 4. I won't be long. But starting here in verse number 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to, unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, and as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members as one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll pour out your Spirit upon us this evening. Thank you for those who were able to uh, make it back here this evening, Lord. I pray that you'll hide me behind the cross, Lord, or order my steps in your word. Give me the words to speak this evening as we open up this last portion in chapter 4 of what it means to put on the new man. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We started this morning with the thought process of putting on a new, the new man. That this idea of putting on the new man is a decision that we have to make each and every day. Even as believers, we have to make the decision to walk not as the world, to walk not with the world. But we've seen even more the contrast starting in verses 18 and 19 uh, versus really the rest of the end of the chapter of chapter number four, the difference between the believer's walk and the unbeliever's walk. We see that 
in chapter 4 and verse 19, as we've seen this morning, that an unbeliever, is, they walk in the vanity of their mind. Even more, he said in verse number 18, that their understanding was darkened. They were alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And as if this isn't bad enough news. I mean, what really worse can be said? Paul is not complete stating the condition, the true condition of an unbeliever. He goes on even further in verse number 19. After saying that they're darkened, their understanding's dark, and after the saying they're in ignorance, he says in verse number 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness. Meaning that in the beginning, even in the moral, even in the unbeliever, there is within them a more understanding of right and wrong. But even in them, he says, the condition of these unbelievers, he said, they are even farther down the hole than you think. These people to whom he's speaking of, they are past feeling. They knew that which what they were partaking of was wrong, and yet they continued on. They're so callous to their sin, he's saying, that they are committed to their sin even upon the cause of death. Bent to continue in sin, not allowing anything to stop them. There was an ancient Greek story that was in a footnote in a commentary that I was reading. The ancient Greek story goes like this, that there was this young Spartan boy. And Spartans, you know, they were in the Greek realm. They are to be the toughest of the toughest. There was this young Spartan boy who had come up with the idea one day to steal a fox. And he stole the fox from this neighbor's yard, but as he was walking down the street with the fox, he found himself almost face to face with the person from whom he stole the fox. So the young Spartan boy took the fox and he shoved it up his shirt and stood at attention and did not move a muscle at all. And as this story goes that the young boy stood as attention, and when the man walked by from whom he stole the fox, he did not flinch. But when the young Spartan took the fox and shoved it up his shirt, the fox had become frightened and had destroyed his organs while he hid the shirt, while he hid the fox up his shirt. The moral of the story was is that the young Spartan boy was not willing to give up his sin. He wasn't willing to confess that which he was doing, even though it costed him his own life. Bent to continue on in the thievery in which he was doing. I thought about this even with my own father. You know, my dad, 
gave his life to alcoholism. You know, if you tried to speak to him about alcoholism, he would try to kind of push you off. Yet he was so committed to this, he hid it from even a lot of people. But on December the 5th, 2020, I found him sitting at the table. And guess what was there right in front of him, dead at the table? A bottle of bourbon. So committed to this sin that he would not let go of it, even though it was destroying him. This is to which Paul is speaking of here. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all on cleanness with greediness. And Paul is speaking about uh, people who have basically committed themselves at all costs to continue on in their sin. This thought process, these words here really of past feeling come from the Greek word uh, apologio. This means to be past the sense of pain. You know, the sense of pain is important to a healthy body. Matter of fact, we can appreciate these senses when we accidentally touch a hot stove. We feel the sensation and quickly remove our hands because if we leave it there, we'll find ourselves in a worse situation. When you're walking in the backyard or when you're walking through a pile of wood and you feel the sensation of a nail going through the shoe and barely touching you, what do you quickly do? You lift your foot up. You can appreciate the sensation that protects you from doing further harm. But these people, they're past this sensation altogether. They've continued on. They haven't even, they knew it was going to do them harm, and they continued on even further. There is a condition in the, in the world today, if you look it up, it's called hypothesia. If I said it wrong, I'm sorry. This is a condition in which people have that it prevents them from sensing temperature. It prevents them from feeling pain. And these people, are, you know, they're, they're really condemned in a way because they have none of the natural senses to prevent them from doing further harm. Paul says that these people to whom he's speaking about here, these unbelievers, these people who know not the Lord, they have spiritual hypothesia. They have a spiritual condition in which they have no senses to prevent them from going any further. And to say it even worse, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. He says, these people have become so numb to their sins. They're so past their feelings that not only are they past the fact that it is sin, but they have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. They've committed themselves to the work, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. 
Now to kind of bring this into light, this word work is used three times in the New Testament. The word work here is in this manner is the word ergasia. In Acts chapter 16, this word is used to describe, remember when Paul went in there, Paul and Silas went down into Philippi and the men had this lady who was demon possessed and they used her for ill gain. The word there in the Acts chapter 16 in the 19th verse, that word gain is the same word that we read here in this 19th verse. When it says, given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work. This word work is means to be gain. Gain, so to say, gain made by wickedness. In Acts 16 and 19, it says, And when her master saw that the hope of their gains, that's the word, ergasia, was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. When they seen that the prophet was removed because the Lord had mightily used Paul to heal this young lady. When they seen the prophet was gone, they drew them into the streets to do them harm. Even more, Acts chapter 19, there in 24 to 27, it says, For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain. That's the same word, Ergasia unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. I read all these two really because to me it really brings into context what Paul is trying to drive home when he says, whom being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. It is to say that this is the same battle that we're facing today. Paul is saying that the world in the time of Ephesus had become so wicked that they was using their wicked sin to bring in more gains. Whether it was in Philippi with this young lady or whether it was this idolatry in which Demetrius was bringing them great gains by making these false idols for them. And we see this even more today. This is not a strange to us. We see people even today who are working, to the, who work all uncleanliness with greediness. Let's think about this. When you're working all uncleanliness with greediness, 
It means you're taking that which is unclean for your gain. Where do we see that today? Well, we see this in the prostitution rings that ran all across this country. They're taking the wickedness of the world, and people are running these rings for ill-gotten gains. We see it even more with the drug epidemic that we're in. These men who are dealing drugs, they are what? Working uncleanliness with greediness. Even more in the age of pornography, which, by the way, Forbes just produced an article the other week that said that pornography makes over $4 billion a year. $4 billion a year. What is this? This is people who work uncleanliness with greediness. They have taken that which the Lord has condemned and brought it to their own prophets. So Paul says this is even the worst condition of these people who are not saved. It is a continual downward spiral. They don't know the Lord. Their understanding is darkened. And it's even worse that they not only is their understanding darkened, but they take that which God condemns and uses it for gain. But then he turns the table. In verse number 20, he said, but ye have not so learned Christ. Meaning, this is not where you learned Christ. This is not how you learned about Christ. And this is not what you learned from Christ. When, when you were in that life, when you were not saved, this is not how you learned more about him. No, he, he goes even more to say, and when you, as you go through these final verses, is that when you met him, he was the one that gave us victory over all of these things. He's the one who removed us from all of these things. Victory over darkness. Matter of fact, as he gives the um, characteristics of someone who is a believer. These are things that we struggle with today when it seems, when we see someone who is, has the right temper. How many times do we struggle with our temper? When we see someone about how we treat our neighbor, how many times do we struggle with our neighbors wishing they would stop this or wishing they would stop that? I was talking to Brother Green before the services and some jackalope cut the lock off of our family center and went in there and they didn't do no damage, but why'd you even cut the lock off? It's hard to be a neighbor when you got people like that. But even more, the characteristics that we had as believers, these are the things that we struggle with today. James 4.4 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, and whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So you didn't learn this from Christ. But look what he says here in verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. I don't want to miss this. And so I feel like just for understanding, I'm going to try to apply this in a school setting because really verses 20 and 21 really bring us to a great understanding 
of what Paul is trying to drive home about our own personal spiritual growth. Maria, one more time. But ye have not so learned Christ. If it so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay, then, so imagine today you're in the school setting. You're sitting at the desk. The school material that they bring to your desk today to learn, well, it's of Christ. Okay, well, great. School is in session today. We're going to learn about Christ. Well, who is the teacher? Well, verse 21. If 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 so be that ye have heard of him, what does it say next? and have been taught by him. So verse 20 says that school is in session. The subject in which we are learning about is Christ. And if we so heard of him, it means that you were taught by him. Now listen, I can do everything I can to explain to you the word of God. But if it makes a connecting point, that is because of the Holy Spirit of God. I cannot give you understanding no more than I can convince a lost man of their need of Christ. If we are in the classroom learning of Christ, it is because we're being taught by Christ. And it goes on to say, if you've been taught by him in classes in session and we're learning of Christ, then which is the room in which we learn of Christ? Well, verse 21 emphasizes even further. If you're going to learn from Christ, it's a private school. And in order for you to learn from Christ, you must first be found in Christ. So it is that not only that he is the teacher, so to say, but he is the subject, and not only he's the subject, but we must first be in him to be taught by him about him. So what he's saying here is that when we're in Christ, now this is the way the world used to be. The world teaches the world, but those who are in Christ are taught by Christ, about Christ, to produce what? Why? What are we taught by Christ about? What is he teaching us even more? During World War II, when the bombs were dropped off in England, it would do a lot of damages into the stores. And as the damage was happening to these store owners, they would find themselves extremely frustrated that their buildings were being damaged. So one commentator uh, said that during his time, he lived in London during World War II, he said that oftentimes they would take, they would clean a pathway for people to be able to get back in the store. And even though the corner of the building may be missing and though the windows may be knocked out of the building, they would take, take a piece of wood and screw it to the building and paint on the side or paint on the piece of wood business as usual. But what Paul does here in verses 20 and 21 says If something is catastrophic, if something is magnificent 
as Christ happens in your life, it's going to change some things. But we don't just, after we experience something as big as Christ in our life, hang up a sign and say, business as usual. No, it's, it's a new sign that says, under new management. Well, what has management taught us here? What has management taught us about how we should behave? Look at verses 22 and 23. He taught us that we should be putting off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So first, Christ teaches us that we need to put off the old man, right? First and foremost, you learn that the first thing you do after salvation, the first thing we learn is that the old man is done away with. The second thing is we learn is that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Verse, and the third thing we learn is not only do we put off the old man, not only do we renew our minds, but that we have to put on the new man. Keep this in mind. That just because we handle something different than we used to handle it when we were lost doesn't mean that we've done it the exact right way. Let me put it this way. If my son, which this happens, I found myself at times frustrated with my son, right? Fair enough, okay. Do I handle it right all the time? No, okay. So you hear his confession before you. But when I make this mistake with my son, I have to acknowledge and first search my heart and say, did I handle this the wrong way? If I handle this the wrong way, it doesn't mean the next time there's an issue with my son that I don't talk to my son about the issue because I handled it wrong the last time. So the best way to not handle it or the best way to handle it is to not handle it at all. That's not right either. See, what we've learned here, what he says here, and the three things that the Lord teaches us is that we put off the old man. Though he creeps in and causes us all kinds of trouble. But also that when troubles come up, before we go handle those situations, we need to put on the new man. We have to be strategic and when we face problems, just because we don't handle them the way we used to doesn't mean that we handle them the way that we should. So he tells us to put off the old man and even more, put on the new man so that we handle things in a manner in which God will get the glory. Remember uh, in Romans chapter 6, I always think about this when it speaks about the newness of life. When Paul says, uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He goes on even further to say in verse number 4, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Even more to verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. In verse number 12, he continues on and say, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in it, that you should obey it in the lust thereof, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as an instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but you are under grace. Paul's continual emphasis, it doesn't matter where you go, Romans and in Ephesians, there is a constant reminder that the old man is dead and that there is a new man to be put on. This old man is to be crucified daily and the new man is to be put on daily. And when the new man is put on, significant results happen. Matter of fact, from verse number 24 to the closing of the chapter is all about the results that come from us putting on the new man. Starting in verse number 25, when you put on the new man, he says one of the things that happens when you put on the new man, that lying is put away. Even more that we speak truth with our neighbors, even more, when we put on the new man, it is possible for us to be angry and sin not. Even more, that when we have the new man put on, it is possible to come to a conclusion at the end of every day, no matter what the situation is that you face, no matter how upset that you are, no matter how big the situation is in your life. It is possible if you will put on the new man to go to bed each and every day in peace. Because he says here, when you put on the new man, you will not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Even more, when we put on the new man daily, we, we won't give place to the devil those who stole, they'll steal no more. But matter of fact, it goes on to say that when you put on the new man, the old man may have used to steal, but the new man won't steal no more. And even greater news, it'll give you a desire to work because you'll have a heart to care for those who need. These are all the results of putting on the new man. The new man, when you put him on, you'll find yourself in a situation that you will not let corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth. But instead of the mouth that we used to use to cut people down, the mouth that we used to use to degrade people, to uh, cut them down to size, he goes on to say that if you will put on the new man, the same tongue that used to cut people down will now be used to edify and minister to one another. Even more, 
that we may minister grace unto the healers. Even more, this new man gives us the ability to live such a life. The new man putting in him on daily gives us the ability to live in such a way that we will grieve not the Holy Spirit. Because we have power over sin. Whereby, he says, you are sealed unto the day of redemption. He closes out in verse number 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has or hath forgiven you. You see the difference? I'm thankful that there's only two verses here that talk about the old man because it is seriously gloomy. But then he gives us two verses about what happens when we focus on our Savior and we ask him to feed us and teach us from his word about him and making us more like him. And then the entire rest of the chapter shows what a person could be like who once was wicked, but now is saved, who is seeking to be like Christ, can be an example to the world. I mean, this is the kind of person we want as our neighbor. <laughs> this is the kind of people we want to be around. But this is also the kind of person we're supposed to be. But it's going to take us each and every day. Waking up, entering into the classroom, saying, Lord, teach me about you. Make me more like you. Help me to put on the new man and help me to mortify this old flesh. So that when I go out into the world, they can see that I'm not a person who's out for ill gains, that I'm not a person who's out finding satisfaction in the things of the world, but I am a, a person who is completely satisfied in Christ. That's one of my favorite parts of people who, who were once in the world and got saved. I love hearing stories when people say, this is not to minimize if you don't have a history before the Lord saves you, praise the Lord. Everybody who has a history before the Lord uh, saved them would willingly trade someone who doesn't have a history before the Lord saved them. But I love when people tell stories about how the Lord changed their life. And after salvation, their old friends would be like, oh, yeah, this is great. So. You want to go out and do this after? No, I don't do that no more. Oh, well, you want to go do this? No, I don't do that no more. Oh, well, you want to go do that? No, I don't do that no more either. It's like, well, what do you do with your life? I love Jesus. <laughs> Blows their mind. They say, well, you're a cop, you know. But the reality is they just don't understand the satisfaction that we have in him. It's such a wonderful thing. And I pray that, you know, we as believers, what we've covered in the entire chapter four, 
has been that we are to encourage one another, strengthen one another, love one another, be long-suffering with one another. And as we continue to grow and as God continues to gift the church and give people different abilities that we gather around those people who God calls into ministry and who God is using, and we encourage them to use the gift that God has given them and pray that God will further give them to their glory, use him, use them for his glory and that we will be able to contribute to that. And we praise God and thank God for allowing us to be around people who he's still calling into ministry. I'm thankful for it. You know, there's churches even today that um, they don't know what it's like to have young kids in the church. Churches today, they would die just to even have a piano player. Churches today that they do all they can just to keep the lights on. If you can't see how God has so poured out his rich blessings upon this church, you're not looking. Because we are richly blessed. And in return for this rich blessing, we owe so much to the Lord. So when we leave here this evening, when we wake up tomorrow morning and head out into the world, challenge ourselves daily to put on the new man. When we go to handle situations, put on the new man. You don't want to be like me standing in front of the church and having your kids saying you handle situations wrong, do you? Put on the new man. It's challenging to live for the Lord, and it's challenging to raise youths. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, but just every day we have to strive to be more like the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll feed us, Lord, to continue to send your spirit to remind us of all the things we've learned in Ephesians chapter 4. Lord, I thank you for the blessings that you've put upon this church. You've never lifted your hand of blessings from upon us, still using this building to nurture up people to who you've called to preach, still giving people the desires to teach, still giving people a heart for kids, still giving people a heart for your word, still, Lord, giving people a heart to sing for you in your choir. People are still giving. People are still wanting to reach others in the world, Lord. A heart for missions and ministry, Lord. Oh, what a blessing it is to be a part of this work. Lord, I give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.